When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey, Dale. Got a new assignment for you. Vacation. Uh, thanks, boss. Y- you mean it? You betcha. Self-care is good for business. Sometimes things just get better, like AT&T. We've invested more than $150 million to grow our wireless network coverage to over 99% of Nebraska. Visit att.com slash Nebraska and learn how to get a free smartphone when you switch to AT&T. Coverage not available everywhere. Over 99% coverage based on third-party data. Network investments based on 2018 through 2020 expenditure. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. This is Greg Olson, inviting you to check out my new Blue Wire podcast, TE1, where I interview tight ends throughout the history of the NFL who have helped revolutionize the position. TE1 is presented by the Chevy Silverado. The Silverado is all about grit. It's strong and dependable, exactly like playing tight end. Just like the incredible players we sit down with on the podcast, the Chevy Silverado is in a league of its own. Strong, advanced, and dependable. Download TE1 today, wherever you listen to podcasts. This is the Cubs-related podcast presented by CubsInsider.com. My name is Corey. I am joined, as always, by Brendan, and we are recording this in the now wee hours of Wednesday, September 30th, and that means that the Chicago Cubs have a playoff game today. So this is a playoff edition of the Cubs-related podcast, and I will just say I, I get chills even saying that, Brendan. We've done so many episodes, and even though the vast majority of the time that Brendan and I have been doing this podcast, the Cubs have been a playoff team. We've still recorded so many episodes in the off season and in a couple of not-so-great seasons, uh, and so to be able to sit down and record a preview for a playoff series that the Chicago Cubs are in never fails to get me very excited. But as Brendan and I are recording this, we are about, what, 13 hours away? That's Something it, Corey. 13 lines, hours, if yeah. 
you guys know I can't do regular math, we so know, I'm trying to convert time and all that other stuff. It's a little tricky, but anyway, the Cubs have a playoff game today, and we have plenty to talk about. I don't think this will be as long as one of our normal episodes, but really what we just want to do, uh, we recapped the regular season, we kind of celebrated winning the division and let all of those feelings out in our last episode, and in this one, just want to set the stage for you a little bit. Obviously, you'll be hearing this the morning uh, of this game. It's an afternoon game, so quick turnaround time, but just want to give uh, a little bit of thoughts on the way the Cubs have set things up rotation-wise and, and what we might expect from the lineup and the bullpen as this relates to this series. And Brendan and I are far from experts on the Miami Marlins. Uh, I think you guys wouldn't have believed us if we said that we were. But we have done our reading, we have done our uh, research and our due diligence, and we'll offer some thoughts on on just what to expect here and uh, what it all looks like in the in this general playoff landscape. But Brendan, at the end of the day, the Cubs have a playoff game today, and despite the fact that Wrigley Field will be empty and uh, I can't be there and you can't be there, uh, we will be there in spirit, and I'm ready to go. I'm looking forward to to that dugout and that energy because there will be no fans there. So we saw the energy throughout the entire regular season. What is that going to look like during an actual playoff set in their last series at Wrigley Field this year? I know the environment, the atmosphere is not what you wanted, but I think if there's any team in Major League Baseball to like amp it up a little bit more than expected, it, it is this team. So I, I'm pumped, dude. Like I know, again, I know a lot of people may not be as excited or whatever, but this is a playoff series that they won the division. It's a playoff series. I don't care if it's in a shortened season. I don't care if it's a wild card series, a three game set. They're in the playoffs. I'm going to get up for it. I'm going to risk losing my job for it because you're playing during the day, and we'll figure it out. I'm pumped, Corey. The playoffs got started on Tuesday, saw a few games, kind of get the feel of the vibe here. And, you know, I think one thing that, that stood out to me watching the White Sox game or the Yankees game here on Tuesday was kind of just that that quick reminder of this is a three-game series. Yeah. Anything can happen. Yes. And I, I think that that is the best way to start this conversation. And I know that throughout this whole season, we you you probably heard me or Brendan in all of these episodes during the regular season say something along the lines of, it's a 60-game season, it's a sprint, you know, not a marathon, all these other cliches, right? But there was a reason for that, even as tiresome as it may feel. And we're not going to have as much time to repeat this same phrase here, but a three-game series is not something to forget the context of, right? We we always talk about how much of a sort of gamble and a gauntlet the regular playoffs are in a normal season when you have to start with a five-game series. And we've seen countless examples of how dangerous any team can be in a five-game series. We always go back to that series with the Giants in 2016 and just how close that series was, even though it doesn't get to a game five and and the Cubs end up winning and it's exciting. It was very close, right, when you look back at it. And the you can look at any time over the last several years that the Dodgers have been knocked out. Uh, Washington certainly comes to mind against them last year, and now you're making it even shorter 
And so I think that is what sort of stood out to me on Tuesday was just that reminder of, man, like the the team that jumped out to an early lead, you know, the Yankees got a big jump on the Indians in that game on Tuesday. And you're thinking like, man, like Shane Bieber went for the Indians. They're down by a ton of runs. Mm-hmm. And now they're on the brink of elimination, just like that, right? Like, bang, crazy. Aaron Judge hits one home run, and it's like, okay, now you're staring at (laughs) elimination, like, that quickly. So it's something to keep in mind, and I think it's good context when you have a team like Miami coming in. And I think the, the, the first thing, let's, first, Brendan, let's talk generally just about this series, and then sure. we can get into some of the matchups and the splits and, and you know, more specific expectations. But I think just generally, um, one of the the things that I, I, I looked at with this matchup is Miami, I think, represents a, a pretty stereotypical team that perhaps is obviously the benefactor of this playoff layout, right? In a, in a normal 162-game season, you wouldn't necessarily expect this team to have been at the top of the NL East. Uh, they weren't. The Braves were. But you wouldn't expect them to have necessarily made this playoff field. But here we are, and they're one of those teams where they, you know, they have some of those veterans that, you know, have been around the league mixed in there, but it's largely uh, an inexperienced group and one of those groups that really has nothing to lose, right? So I, I think it's it's one of those matchups that you can look at in either perspective, right? A, a positive or a negative, right? Because I, I think if we're being honest, and this isn't to take anything away from them, I just think being honest, this probably is not a playoff team in a regular season. But at the same time, they are a playoff team. They do get the opportunity to win a three-game series. And especially when you have nothing to lose and you're the team that doesn't have the pressure and the expectations and the media and all, you know, the big contracts and everything that the Cubs do— you're playing with house money to a degree. So I I think that's one of just sort of the interesting narratives or or layouts for this series is that you have two teams that are entering this matchup coming from pretty wildly different places, right? It's a toss-up. Even even though clearly on paper, the Cubs are the better team in every aspect from the rotation to the bullpen to presumably a healthy lineup with Chris Bryant on track, they're better all around. But in a three-game set, anything can happen. Shane Bieber, Corey, was insanely good this year. And you saw what happened with the Yankees. And the Yankees, weirdly enough, during the middle course of this year, they were struggling. There was a time where even the Yankees may not have made the playoffs, if not for a complete tear towards the end of those 15 games. So this this is a weird season. And... With the Cubs being a Wrigley, that has to be a distinct advantage just because you're familiar with the COVID protocols. I'm sure Miami being a Wrigley for the first time, going to be a little bit of a learning curve. curve. Where do we go? Where do you you know get tested? All this stuff, right? Those are things you have to factor in and in, in what you expect. But at this point, even with the three-game set, you, you have to expect the Cubs are going to win this series. I know it's a toss-up. I know anything can happen, but... This is this is the Miami Marlins, dude. Like the Cubs, their history with Sandy Alcantara, like they've they've hit them. 
and lefties destroy Alcantara. So they, if anyone in this playoff set, it should be the Cubs jumping off on board right from the start with these guys. But again, anything can happen. I'm feeling confident. I, I don't I don't know if that's a bad thing or a good thing. Yeah. It's it's one of those weird instances where anything can happen, and I'm 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 aware of that. But I I still would be very shocked if they don't win this series. I know again anything can happen, but they are just so much better than this team, Corey. Yeah, I I think it's sort of one of those weird lines to straddle where anything we're saying here, again, like it's not meant to take away from the Marlins and what they've done. And they deserve it. That was very, you know, with the whole COVID stuff, that's unfortunate. But they did rebound. They didn't have any more, you know, troublesome cases and they made the playoffs. So, you know, good on them to to a degree. Right. And, And, you know, this was a team that over, like you said, overcame the... COVID situation they had earlier in the season. They're a very young team. They're a very inexperienced team. They're a team that is rebuilding, right, with with Jarek, Derek Jeter now as, as their owner and, and just sort of like transforming. And so for them to have made the playoffs in a division where the Phillies didn't, right? The Mets didn't, you know, you have to give them credit. So none of this, the way that we look at this is to take away from that or to guarantee that the Cubs are going to win or anything like that, right? I I don't think Brendan and I can make it clearer that anything can happen in a three-game series. Um, But I think it's just to say you have the advantage of being at home despite there being no fans, but I think Wrigley in particular is one of those environments that when you're the team it belongs to, it it is an advantage and and knowing how to navigate the different nuances of the the ivy, the outfield, the wind, things like that, and just having that experience and comfort, uh, I do think that that's an advantage. Yeah, and no again, doubt. just knowing like put pretty simply like that that's kind of the the juxtaposition, which if you're a listener to this podcast, you know is my favorite word that I see in these two teams, right? And it's it's kind of how I look at this, where we just saw in this last week the Cubs lose a series to the worst team in the league, the Pittsburgh Pirates, and then they turned around and took two out of three against the White Sox in a series where both teams' divisions were on the line. So we saw sort of the disparity between what can happen in, in on any given day, right? We saw both of those, right? On any given day, the worst team in the league can beat anybody. And then that same team that just lost can turn around and beat another playoff team, right? So I I think the the key here though is the Cubs are the the Cubs are the ones that have this playoff experience. The Cubs are the ones that are going to, especially in this first game, uh, be starting someone that has a, a quite impressive playoff pedigree, right, in Kyle Hendricks for this team on that very same mound at Wrigley Field. And they have the roster of guys that have done this, that have won the whole thing before, that have stepped up in the biggest of moments, on the biggest of stages. And they're also the ones who you know, again, we're we're not really sure how this is all going to play out, but at least to some degree could be trying to do this for the last time as, as, as a particular group. So that's not all to say that they're going to win or that it's some massive disaster if they can't win one three-game series um, because baseball is going to baseball. We know that, right? But it's all just to say 
the the Cubs should win this series. Um, they should be the ones that step up in this moment. They should be the ones that take advantage of the Marlins' inexperience. They should be the ones that are taking advantage of this matchup against a team that is, again, you know, to be frank, not as good as them. So that's how I kind of look at this. Um, I, I don't want to keep repeating <laughs> the, the same points, but I think you guys get the idea. Um, so let's take a look at, at how this is going to line up. Uh, obviously, I don't have a series to recap for you, but I do have a series to preview for you. So unfortunately, uh, at least I think, unfortunately, your your individual situation may be different, uh, but generally, I don't think that people like uh, playoff games at one in the afternoon every time. But that is what we have. Uh, so at one oh eight Central Time on Wednesday, it will be Kyle Hendricks and Sandy Alcantara for the Marlins. That is game one on Wednesday. Game two on Thursday is also at 108 Central Time. And that is Yu Darvish versus Sixto Sanchez for the Marlins. And on Friday, again, 108 Central Time. So Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, three days in a row, 108 Central Time. This one will be Pablo Lopez for the Miami Marlins, and it will be John Lester getting the ball if this game is necessary. So that is how the games lay out. Those are the probables, and that's it. Uh, again, three games, which is is weird to say for a playoff series. I, you know, I know we've uh, gone through a couple of the one-game wild cards, which are about as terrifying of an experience as, as you can have, and we've <laughs> yeah. had... Yeah, and we've had 50-50 success there. Uh but this is a a different this is a different breed. So it's it's a little hybrid between the the one game wild card and the five game NLDS. But the first thing I want to talk about Brendan is is really simply just the initial decision from David Ross uh to go with Kyle Hendricks in game 1. You Darvish in Game 2, and then ultimately John Lester to at least start the game in Game 3, as we heard uh, when the Cubs were doing their workouts on Tuesday morning. Talking about ED is not easy. Usually, we just brush it off or blame ourselves, saying things like, I lost my mojo, or we just avoid it altogether with excuses like I had a long day at work. But with Roman, it is easy to talk about it with a healthcare professional who can prescribe real medication. It's simple, safe, and totally discreet. With Roman, you can get a free online evaluation and ongoing care for ED or hair loss all from the comfort and privacy of your home. A healthcare professional will work with you to find the best treatment plan, and if medication is appropriate, Roman will ship it to you with free two-day shipping. Getting started is so simple. All you have to do is go to GetRoman.com slash Cubs to complete your online visit. ED used to be tough to tackle, but now there is Roman. So go to GetRoman.com slash Cubs today. If approved, you'll get $15 off your first order of ED treatment. That's GetRoman.com slash Cubs. GetRoman.com slash Cubs. Yeah, I, I think really the difference between you and Hendricks, it's marginal. It's more based on matchups if we're assuming that you and Kyle are on normal rest. They're not. So having Darvish pitch, 
on Thursday instead of Wednesday, that extra day is meaningful in that he can prepare as he normally does. And that that is really meaningful to me personally as a fan. I want you to be in that consistent schedule. But if it were normal rest, I think you can flip a coin. And if it were you or Kyle in game one, I don't care. There is a side to me too that I like having Hendricks go game one just because if he does and I expect him to do, if he goes out and shoves, that's a really difficult thing for Miami to do, losing the first game and then facing basically, in my opinion, the, the best pitcher in the National League in you Darvish with 12 pitches and a new pitch he develops every other week. Imagine you're fighting for your season and you, one, have not faced you Darvish the entire year, and two, you're facing this you Darvish that is basically your Cy Young winner. Here you go. You don't beat him. You're going home. So I, I do like the the whole boss vibe, I guess, if you will, that if they do win that first game, then Miami's up against a wall, man. And they may be up against the biggest wall possible compared to other teams in this playoff scenario. But if Miami gets fortunate and if they do win that first game, you can flip the script too. Who else would you want on the mound to get you to that game three than you, Darvish, at this point? Yeah. So it's, it's it's a win-win. I think in general, there is no difference, I guess, between predicting the value of Hendricks or you, but there is a difference with giving you that extra day's rest. And I guess if you want to play like the whole mental psyche game, having you, Darvish, in game two to close the door or extend your season, that's who I want on the mound at that point. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think this was primarily rest. I think if you're looking at, you know, if you really were wanted to, you know, because like when when we posted this on social media and, you know, when some of this stuff came out on social media, you know, there was, uh, you know, at least some segment that were kind of like, oh, you should have gotten it. Like, and I mean, I think in a vacuum, you's obviously been the better pitcher. Um, but that's not what this decision was necessarily based on. So uh, I don't think that really matters. But yeah, I mean, I, I like this. And I think too, it's, this is a tough, this is a very tough back-to-back, no matter how you order it, for any team to try to face. Because as we've highlighted many times, the difference in how you and Kyle get the job done is very stark. And to have to prepare, especially, you know, back-to-back days, to have to prepare for what Hendricks does and then be ready for what Darvish does on back-to-back days it's you know it's it's definitely a scenario where you look at it and you go look if Miami can get that done then you tip your hat to them because sure. that is a very very difficult task you're talking about two of the best pitchers certainly in the National League and uh, I think all of baseball and they're so different and it, it's it's going to be I think very difficult for Miami to be prepared for for both of these attacks and you know then we'll see what happens in game three Miami's offense is better against left-handed pitching um you know so I I think you've obviously seen a lot of talk of Lester getting the ball but someone like Adbert Alzali being ready as a right-hander especially a right-hander that's shown you a lot in these last couple weeks uh for that game three but hopefully Kyle and you don't uh don't make that necessary. How do you feel about so, that though? Let's let's assume worst case scenario. Well, you know, I guess middle case scenario. It goes to game three. Yeah. So what yeah. are you doing? Are you putting Alzali to piggyback off Lester? Do you trust Alzali with the nerves? Yeah, show nerves in the past, although he seems to be beyond that. He looks good. But would you default to maybe 
I, I don't know, Alec Mills, because maybe he has more of that experience with the coaching staff and his catchers. Where are you in that game three after Lester? Well, I mean, I think uh, I'd love the benefit of knowing what happened in those first two games. Uh, but, you know, obviously you and I both have made clear that we're giving the ball to John. Oh, there's no um, doubt about that. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, I know that, you know, I've seen the splits, right? I, I know that the Marlins offense is, uh, I think, you know, on the whole below average against righties and only above average against lefties. I get it, but you're giving the ball to big game John every time. Um, I, I think my instinct would be to see what Alzali can do. Um, I think that he's earned that and I think he's shown that. The The reason that I said I would be interested to see what happened in those first two games is to see what this offense in Miami looks like against Kyle Hendricks in particular, um, just because he and Mills are obviously different, but their game is more similar uh, than, say, Alzali and Hendricks, right? So if it looks like the Marlins are just making tons of weak contact, which they do, and struggling with the changing of speeds and the slow, uh, the slower fastballs and things like that from the right-handed side, maybe you think about that. Um, but I, I'm kind of intrigued. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm, I'm definitely, I think I would count myself as buying into what we've been seeing from Alzali. It's I mean, just, you know where I am with this. Yeah, no, like. of course. Yeah. But just <laughs> seeing the changes and, and seeing what he's added to his arsenal. Um, I, I think that, you know, and, and maybe it's just a little bit of like riding that hotter hand, I, I, I suppose. Um, but it's just, it's, it's definitely got my attention what, what Alzali has been doing. But I think, uh, you know, again, and then this is kind of the, the story of this pitching staff as a whole, and certainly it's going to be kind of how things are going to have to go if you're going to have a long run in these playoffs because there's no off days. It's Mm. good to at least have options and, you know, you range in how confident you are in them, but, um, you know, even someone like Quintana, right? Like just having guys that you can look at and say, okay, like if this isn't working, we do have maybe someone else to warm up and, and to see if we can kind of shift things around it's not like you're looking at a pitching staff where you're like well if Dron struggles I I don't know we just throw our hands in the air at least you've got some options where you can see what these matchups look like see what Miami's offense is bringing to the table and how they're performing and you know which of these guys are are hot and hitting in this series seeing the ball well things like that and you know you can kind of make your decision based off that but my gut instinct would be Lester, and then seeing what Alzali can yeah, do, uh, depending on the score and, you know, obviously the situation. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you as well. And then if Alzali does not look crisp when he does piggyback, I think my next man up might be Quintana. Um, what we saw in that last outing, him throwing 93, 94, a little bit faster than his normal career rates as of lately. I like that. That shows that he might be healthy and he might be feeling himself a little bit. So I think in a pecking order for a game three, start off with John, see how he looks. If he gets through five, then I may not even throw Alice Lie. Maybe go straight to the bullpen and then let it ride. But if Lester can't go five, I'm going Lester, I'm going Alice Lie, and then I'm having Q waiting in the background just in case Alice Lie can't get through an inning or two. And then I think I'm fine with that approach. I'm actually confident in that approach. I'm not just fine with it. 
You've counted on restaurants, now they're counting on you. And while their dining rooms may be closed, they're still open for delivery with DoorDash. DoorDash is the app that brings you the food you're craving right to your door. Ordering is easy. Open the DoorDash app, choose what you want to eat, and your food will be left safely outside your door with a new contactless delivery drop-off setting. Choose from your favorite national restaurants like Chipotle or Wendy's or the Cheesecake Factory. Many of your favorite local restaurants are still open for delivery too. Just open the DoorDash app, select your favorite local spot, and your food is on its way. Right now, our listeners can get $5 off and zero delivery fees on their first order of $15 or more when you download the DoorDash app and enter code BLUEWIRE. That's $5 off your order and zero delivery fees on that order when you download the DoorDash app in the App Store and enter code BLUEWIRE. Don't forget, that's code BLUEWIRE for $5 off your first order with DoorDash. The wait is finally over and football is back. You might not be at a game this year, but you can still be in on the action at BetOnline. BetOnline is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on every possible chance to win this season. From game spreads and totals to team, player, and coaching props, BetOnline gives you more options to wager than anywhere else. You can get in on their season opening bonuses today and start off wagering on wins, division, and championship futures all day, every day. Head to BetOnline today and take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Don't forget to use promo code BLUEWIRE at BetOnline.ag. That's BLUEWIRE, all one word. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. So I, I think that's that's generally how I would look at this pitching staff, but I think especially in a situation where you don't have these off days and if you're going to make a long run, you're going to have to trust more pitchers than maybe you would in a normal year, right? Like I think we, you know, it, it all always goes back to 2016 uh, because the Cubs won the World Series. World Series, year. right, yeah. So it always goes back to that. But, you know, you look at the way they navigated 2016 and it was largely, you know, the the main starting group and Aroldis Chapman doing pretty much all of the work, right? Save for, you know, some other spots, but generally that was the game plan, right? You're not going to be able to do that. Even if you had somebody like Chapman or, or one of these, uh, you know, Kimbrell's kind of worked himself back towards that spot, but... I mean, the bullpen you, might be deeper right now than it did than it was in 2016. I mean, for for a split well, yeah, second, yeah, because you don't have those injuries. Yeah, I mean, for yeah. a split second there towards the end, it was it was Chapman or bust, dude. Like. Right? Yeah, no, for sure. <laughs> but yeah. I just mean you're not even even if you were like that confident in in Kimbrel that he's like Chapman level, which yeah, he's, he's been not. good. I'm not that yeah. confident, but you know, let's relax. Um, you can't. You're not going to be able to just call on one of these guys every day because they would literally be pitching every day. So you're going to have to trust more guys than maybe you normally would. And so I think especially in those first two games, uh, the hope is obviously you just win those games. But I think pitching in particular, the the obvious hope is you just ride, you let Darvish and Hendricks do their thing, you trust them, and you hope that they can just sort of... Yeah carry you through that I I for me I don't know how you feel about this and and maybe you disagree but like I would be leaning toward like I want these guys to win these games I'm not going to get cute about oh Kyle's you know 
walked a couple guys. He's in trouble in the fifth mm. inning. Like I want to trust Kyle Hendricks against this lineup yeah. and not get too cute with with matchups or yep. going to the pen and like these are your horses. Let them take you there. That, you know, that's I, that's how I would look at it. I, I kind of like that though. I think one of my biggest pet peeves. I mean, dating even back to the mid two thousands was. I always felt like the way teams win in the playoffs was not representative how they won during the regular season with the marathon type approach. So I, I kind of like the idea, even going forward, of having like consecutive games. Uh, you know, catch me in a different year, maybe I'll change my mind. But I, I kind of like that. And I was thinking too, as you're discussing going with Hendricks more, let's say through the fifth or sixth inning instead of playing the matchups. That's something maybe Joe Madden would have been more inclined to do to take Kyle out. That's kind of what I was getting. Yeah, at, yeah. which <laughs> we, which we saw, and uh, plenty of debates there. But to that point, I don't I don't want to put words in people's mouths, but I do wonder if the likelihood of let's say Hendricks going seven plus innings is higher than that of Darvish because Darvish does have. 12 pitches, he's going to have a ton of strikeouts naturally, and that's going to raise his uh, pitch count. Mm -hmm. So even if he shuts down the Marlins in five or six innings, if he's at 100 pitches by then, you have to go to the bullpen no matter matter what. He's just gassed. With Kyle, with this Marlins team, Corey, they make a ton of weak contact, a ton of contact on the ground. If I were to bet on this, I, I would probably bet that Kyle has a better chance of going deeper into a game. And if that's the case, then you set yourself up even better for game two and game three, because now you have a rested bullpen, not just for three days, but for four days. And you have maybe more of an advantage over Miami because maybe they had to use your bullpen if they got hit by the Cubs. So as as we talk this out, it, it makes more sense maybe from a bullpen management point of view, because you do have to pitch every day. You cannot throw Kimbrell or Tapera every day. We're going to see Jason Adam. We're going to see Dan Winkler. That's going to stress me out. I like I like Jason Adam. Winkler, I have confidence issues in, but at the very least, he's been looking better. We're, we're going to see them in the playoffs this week, and that's going to be stressful. But how do you mitigate their exposure? Maybe you throw Kyle game one to push him back a little bit more. Yeah, so let's get into that Miami offense just a little bit. Um, And, you know, kind of going along the caveat that I offered earlier, uh, if you are looking for the most detailed, if you were looking for how we cover the Cubs in relation to the Marlins, that's not what we can provide. I would (laughs) go to, you know, Marlins.com and find whoever their Jordan Bastion is and uh, read up on them from, from someone who actually has that perspective. Um, you know, because I, I would just say for someone who was even as loosely in the baseball business as I was, uh, as an intern, like the people who watch every day, you guys know, this is fans of, you know, just how we all watch the Cubs. Like I know more about the Cubs cause I watch them every day. I don't watch every other team other day, but we can look at some of these numbers and we can get a general idea of what we're looking at here. And I think part of the reason that this matchup is so intriguing and part of the reason that you are, I think, quite hopeful that the Cubs are able to just pull this off is this is a very appetizing matchup for you, Darvish and Kyle Hendricks, uh, both of them in particular, because this offense for Miami has some characteristics uh, that should be played into 
by this Cubs pitching staff. And a couple of those characteristics are that this Miami team leads the league or led the league in the, in the you know in this season uh, with the highest ground ball rate of any team in the majors. They also had the fourth lowest exit, average exit velocity in Major League Baseball. Now, Brendan, I'm going to pose a question to you, um, but can you ever recall a time, and and maybe even a specific pitcher, Mm. that was really, really good at getting a lot of weak contact on the ground and letting his defense convert Mm. those weak ground balls into outs, and ultimately that recipe leading to playoff success. Does that ring a bell for you? You know, it it does ring a bell, Corey. And I I think that particular pitcher has done exactly that in elimination games during the playoffs. With with, with the Cubs, too, by the way, in 2016 and in 2017. That's my point, right? Like, when you have Hendricks go game one against this type of team— would you be surprised if he throws a complete game shutout? Like, not at all. And if he does so in 90 pitches, in similar fashion to how he's done not only this year, but in like last year when he threw an 81 pitch complete game against the Cardinals, like, of course, Hendricks is the ideal matchup for an offense like this. Hopefully, uh, this is one of those games that we always talk about where Hendricks is basically able to just Cruise. use his mental advantage and sort of goad these Marlins hitters into doing exactly what he wants, which is just playing to those exact strengths. There is not a better outcome for Hendricks than just letting these guys chase his pitches, get those weak swings, those weak ground balls to Javi, to Chris, and I believe the Cubs have been good, very good, at converting ground balls into outs, Um, and that is what you're hoping is going to happen here. So uh, again, obviously anything can happen, but this this on paper just looks like one of those matchups where Hendricks is going to go into this game knowing exactly what he wants to do, how he wants to change speeds, how he wants to change eye levels, and hopefully you see so many of those at-bats where you can basically see the gears turning in Kyle's head where, you know, he throws a changeup and you're watching the pitch come out of his hand going, boy, I hope this guy reaches out for this and pokes this to the right side because the, you know, it's going to be a weak ground ball right to Kipnis or whoever's standing there. And it just keeps happening, right? Like through the whole game or Hendricks is throwing the ball up and in, they're getting jammed, they're bouncing it right over to Chris, whatever it is, right? But there's a lot of those games in Hendricks's history where you can basically see the plan uh, as if it's kind of like being projected out of his head. Mm. Like, here's what I'm trying to do. Here's what I want them to do. And they just do it. Uh, and this this Marlins matchup really, really, really lines up uh, for that. They were, again, uh, they had an 89 WRC plus as an offense, so 11% below league average, at, which is 100, um, against right-handed pitching, a lot of ground balls, a lot of weak contact, uh, they finished the season in 26th of all mem- MLB teams in home runs, 25th in slugging percentage. So this is not a team that that is known to slug. This is not a team that is known to live by the long ball. This is a team that should be a really good matchup for Kyle Hendricks. Um, yeah. And, you know, I mean, subsequently you Darvish. Um, but I, I think it's just sort of thinking specifically about Kyle Hendricks has the level of success that he does. Uh, this is a team that hopefully should be playing right into that. And, you know, again, all of those 
numbers are, are obviously thing. You Darvish can also get uh, ground balls and, and weak contact. So <laughs> I it's, mean, it's, you it's, Darvish it's is a bad matchup for everyone. So Yeah, no and the, the Marlins is. also have the ninth highest strikeout rate in Major League Baseball. Mm-hmm. So that one is uh, maybe more geared towards you Darvish. So yeah. again, anything can happen. And, and we've seen in so many of these playoff series uh, for the Cubs, against the Cubs, you know, oftentimes it's some of the most unlikely heroes. It's guys who don't get a lot of playing time. It's guys who come out of nowhere. Sometimes when it's people against the Cubs, it's it's people you may have never heard of, right? I mean, looking at the, the White Sox game is a good example today. The first run the White Sox scored was a home run by Adam Engel, right? <laughs> and, you know, eventually Abreu got involved and they, they scored more. But it, you know, it, it wasn't some of the, the more you know, it wasn't Tim Anderson. It wasn't Jose Abreu who who started the scoring there. It was Adam Engel. So um, it it's it's all just to say, you know, you don't want to write a team off just because these are the numbers the Marlins put together in this sixty game season. They they've you know even though they they were twenty sixth in home runs, they 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 hit home runs right, like so they can hit home runs. Uh, but it's it's all just to say this is if you were building a recipe for what you want you Darvish and, and Kyle Hendricks to be going up against, uh, this is is a a pretty this is a pretty tasty matchup I think for them yeah and I think in game one with the Cubs facing Sandy Alcantara there is familiarity there unlike that with Sixto Sanchez or Pablo Lopez in games two and game three so the matchups from a batter perspective against Alcantara with this Cubs team even Kipnis has had some some small sample of success so in three at-bats for Kipnis against Alcantara, he has two walks and he has one hit. So five plate appearances, one hit, two walks. Pretty good. The rest of the Cubs team and their regulars have also had success. So you have Contreras, who's been two for three against uh, Alcantara, with also two walks. Rizzo has gone a yard off Alcantara. Schwarber, three at-bats, one hit, one walk. You have KB with a base knock. You have uh, Hayward with a base knock, a walk. So there has been... Again, this has only been one or two games. So you don't want to over-extrapolate. But the point being is they've seen Alcantara, and they have hit him when they did see him one or two times. And with this Cubs team who has struggled against guys with some unfamiliarity, i rather face Sandy Alcantara in Game 1 than Sixto Sanchez in Game in game 1, even though on paper Alcantara might be the better guy. But I just don't, right now in this COVID environment and... Even Javi talking about the in-game adjustments. I, I rather default to some familiarity. And with Alcantara, there is familiarity there. Not only familiarity, but some some success as well. Yeah, and so I think what I would expect in this game on Wednesday, um, you know, the, the, the splits are there. Um, uh, you know, in, in 2020, uh, the numbers against left-handed hitters for Alcantara are, you know, much much worse than Very they are yeah. against right-handed batters. So in 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 this in this season against lefties, uh, they're slashing 268, 366, 493 with a 369 weighted on base average against righties uh, for Alcantara. 190, 236, 238, and 215. So righties not doing well against him at all. Lefties mashing him. So um, I don't know exactly what David Ross is going to do. I, I can't read his mind, uh, but 
I would expect, I mean, certainly you're going to see Jason Hayward. Certainly you're going to see Ian Happ batting from the left side, Kyle Schwarber, Anthony Rizzo. Uh, I would probably expect to see Jason Kipnis getting this start at second base. Uh, And then, you know, maybe you see uh, someone like Victor uh, batting from the left side as the DH. Uh, But I would be loading this lineup with lefties, playing into those splits, and hoping they tee off. Um, You know, I think it's, it's pretty obvious, right? Like nothing has, the, the, the stakes have changed from what we were talking about throughout most of this regular season. But I think it's, you know, sort of a similar line of thinking, right? Like we, we know what this starting rotation and I think this pitching staff as a whole should bring to the table. The matchup should be good for them. Um, You need the offense to show up. And, you know, we can read these split numbers and, and tell you that lefties have, have hit Alcantara uh, very well. It They, they got to show up and they got to do it. So uh, I, I would load it up with them. But, you know, ultimately, it, it, it's kind of that same discussion of you, you need these guys to get going. And hopefully that White Sox series was at least somewhat of a sign that some of these guys are getting hot and, and we are hopefully going to see their best performances coming at exactly the right time. Yeah, and I think in that game one, we're going to see Kipnis at second base. Just as you said, with Alcantara's numbers against lefties, I mean, they're, they're, they're stark, and they have been stark. I mean, when you have a group of lefties against him batting with a 370, almost a 370 weighted on base average, that speaks volume to the type of pitcher you are. Yeah, and I, I think that game two as well against Sixto, uh, you know, he's one of those guys who, you know, hopefully you're catching him at the right time. Uh, He had a really nice string of starts uh, going from August 28th to September 13th, uh, where all of them were at least seven innings. He Mm -hmm. allowed no more than six hits in those starts. Uh, Two of the starts were shutouts. One of the starts, he allowed two runs. One of the starts, he allowed one run. So there was a a real string of good starts for him in the middle uh, portion of this season. Last couple starts, though, uh, four innings against Washington, where he gave up eight hits and allowed five runs, and three innings against Atlanta, where he allowed four runs on four hits uh, and actually walked more than he struck out in that last one on the 23rd against the Braves. So, you know, again, hopefully you're catching him at the right time, but, you know, obviously this is uh, a younger guy who has a lot of talent and, you know, is is going to be someone that the Cubs don't have that experience against. And, you know, the, those starts, uh, as we've seen with the this this group, sometimes they do well and other times they, they make someone uh, that people haven't seen before look like the, you know, the next Cy Young. So uh, you'll just sort of have to see what goes on there. But I, I, I think generally I... I like these matchups. I think that the Cubs can do do damage against these guys. And you know, again, like it's 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 similar to the the broader angle of the Cubs being the team with the experience, the Cubs being the the team here with the pedigree and stuff like that. It's it's true on a smaller level just for the offense, right? They've struggled throughout this regular season. We've gone through the numbers, we've gone through how, you know, which guys are having their worst year of their career, right? Blah blah blah. But 
that's done with, and it doesn't matter when everybody shows up at the field on Wednesday. What's going to matter is can they do the work, can they prepare, and can they take advantage of Alcantara on Wednesday, and can they do the same uh, in the following game against Sanchez and 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 do the work, grind those at bats, force them into their bullpen, take their walks, you know, and and ultimately put up enough runs to support two guys who hopefully don't need that much. Um, you know, so that's that's really what it's going to come down to. Um, you know, and I think like, especially with this offense, like, you know, we can look at the the splits and we can look at the, the different fly ball, ground ball rates and things like that. But it, it really is just like this offense just needs to show up right? Like we know the talent is there. We know what these guys can do. And hopefully Darvish and Hendricks are not asking this offense to put up, you know, five, six, seven plus runs a game, right? Hopefully they need a little run support and we can just do this in a kind of nice, clean and neat fashion. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, I, I, I like this matchup. I, I think the Cubs should be able to hit these guys. Um, and yeah, I will. We'll just sort of see what happens. <laughs> we'll see what happens. Yeah, I, I, I'm confident. I think you have to be confident. On paper, it's almost a slam dunk. Like, why would why would you not bet with the Cubs in this case? But we'll see, man. You know, baseball is a weird sport. We've been through weird instances where, for whatever reason, this team just blanks out, and I don't think that's going to happen here. But you never know. Here's to hoping that they can get through the series fast, they can be well-rested for the NLDS, and we can go from there. But I, I am feeling confident. I think what we saw against the White Sox with Contreras going yard twice, with KB going yard twice, with Schwarber, the approach looked better. I, I think you have every reason to at least go into tomorrow's game feeling good about their chances. Yeah, and so just to sort of throw some stuff out there on the bullpen for the Marlins. Uh, Their closer is actually Brandon Kinsler, who Mm, uh, I don't know know was ever much of a favorite of this podcast. But um, if you'll recall, uh, his numbers kind of look uh, a bit like you might expect. His ERA is only 2.22 on the season, so that's perhaps lower than you would have expected. Um, But just a 13.9% strikeout rate, 10.9% walk rate. He's stranding a lot of runners. uh, So he's a a heavy, heavy ground ball guy. uh, And that's, you know, what he gets by on. So he's one of those guys who the the ERA is there, but he can be beat. And then, you know, the the peripherals maybe suggest that he's susceptible. Um, But they they do have uh, a couple other guys, uh, you know, who have had success uh, in this season. Um, I'm looking at uh, this article from Michael Sarami from Bleacher Nation, and a couple of the guys he points out, Yimi Garcia, who allowed just one run over 15 innings, uh, James Hoyt, who had a 1.23 ERA in 14.2 innings, and Richard Blyer, who had a 2.63 ERA in 13.2 innings. So I think just want to put those guys on your radar uh, just to suggest that the Marlins, you know, do have some guys at the back end of this bullpen who can close games, who can come in in relief, and who have been tough on on the hitters that they've faced. So, um, you know, you want to do good work, you want to get into that bullpen, but, you know, this is not necessarily, um, you know, some... The the overall bullpen for the Marlins had the fifth worst ERA in baseball, but I just wanted to 
point out that disparity in those guys that that Michael pointed out here because uh you shouldn't have the impression that this Marlins bullpen is devoid of guys that can come in and and pitch out of jams and and close things out or um you know extend the game for them because they do have some of those guys and and some guys that can present some tough matchups for this team so other than that I I don't really know that we have that much for you um you know again this is a team that obviously the Cubs haven't seen and and that we haven't seen uh, unless you've been paying attention to some of those NL East and AL East matchups throughout the season so it's it's going to be interesting, you know, because especially when you look at a lot of these numbers, you know, everybody hasn't been playing everybody. So uh, that, you know, there's a lot of ways for these numbers to be skewed and stuff. But I, I, I think that's the general idea. And, and really, as we wrap this up, I, I just want to reiterate that um, nothing, you can't take anything away from a team that made the playoffs. Uh, this Marlins team got the job done. They got in there. There are, are plenty of teams and and some maybe more talented certainly teams with a higher payroll uh that did not manage to do enough to get into these playoffs so you have to credit them for that and as we've seen countless times this year and certainly over the last several years anybody can win two out of three games right you don't ever hear about a team that won every series they played over the course of a 162 game season right we didn't even hear that in a 60 game season because it doesn't happen so Anything can go down in these games, but I I think you have to feel confident that the Cubs are in a position to where they are not overmatched, uh, and they should be able to take advantage of the matchup that has been presented to them. Uh, whether that's what happens, I don't know, uh, but that is kind of just how I see this, um, and that's that's pretty much all we have. Uh, it's going to be weird to watch three straight playoff games uh, all at one in the afternoon. That's not specifically ideal for me. I, I'm sure a lot of you have work, and you know I don't know how many of you are, are going to you know have it on a, a second computer monitor or have it on your phone or whatever you have to do. But I, I know we'll all figure it out collectively, and and you know we'll uh, be be sending our power to the boys. Um, but. As we get this started, um, you know, I, I I try to offer as much hype, I guess, as I as I can. Um, so where we'll leave you is just to say again that this has been such an interesting season and and one with so many challenges and. The Cubs showed up. They got the job done. Uh, they took care of making the playoffs. They took care of making winning the division. David Ross is a division champion. He is a playoff manager in his rookie season. And we don't know what the future holds for this group. Uh, I think one way or another, there's going to be changes this offseason, whether they're significant or on the margins or whatever, but it, it's 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 very possible. And I mean, you know, the the countless times that this narrative has been drilled into our heads sort of makes you have to believe it to a certain degree, right? That something is going to be different about this group as we know it uh, in this off season and, and into next year. So this is this is a this is a weird situation there's no fans it's a completely different playoff setup it's it's all over the place but at the end of the day i think we are living and dying with the mantra that david ross laid out for us in summer camp which is they are passing out a trophy and we want it all right so 
I don't know what the future looks like for this team, but I do know that going into this series, this is the same group that we have watched for years. This is largely the same group that has accomplished more than pretty much any other group in baseball, right? This group has won the has made the playoffs five out of six seasons. They've won the division three times. They came back from a 3-1 deficit in the World Series to win the World Series in Game 7 after blowing the lead in Game 7. And they came back, they got together, they banded together, and they came back in the 10th inning to win the World Series on the road. And a lot of that group is still here. And I know it doesn't feel like a regular playoffs. We're not going to be in the building to give this team our energy, to give Kyle Hendricks and Hugh Darvish and John Lester the support when they take the mound, a standing ovation when they leave it, but we'll all be doing it from home. And I think with the future being uncertain and with knowing that this group has provided, I believe, most of us, if not all of us, the most significant joy and success we have ever seen or ever dreamed of from this franchise, I think you got to get hyped because they're in the playoffs and they have a chance to win the World Series. Kyle Hendricks, Hugh Darvish, John Lester, Anthony Rizzo, Javi Baez, Chris Bryant, Wilson Contreras. These are our boys, all right? So whatever you want to do, if you have a lucky shirt, an obvious shirt, a Cubs jersey, a hat, a World Series, paraphernalia, or if you recently just got the Cubs W tattooed mm. on your finger, That's a good like idea, my co-host yes. Brendan Miller did, I did before we recorded this podcast. I did. Do whatever you got to do at one in the afternoon <laughs> to support the Chicago Cubs in the playoffs because this is Theo's team. They've done it before, and there is no reason that they can't do it again. But it starts today. It starts at Wrigley Field, and it starts by winning two games against the Miami Marlins. So with that, the playoff version, right, with the most emphasis that we can muster, as we always do, we go out with Go Cubs. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.